Hi there, I'm James Knapp, and this is Truth For You. Today is a milestone. We start Romans chapter 2. Romans 1 was a heck of a study, but now we must continue our journey. Romans is all about the gospel, and we've been looking at the bad news lately. And today, and today we still are. Last time, Paul talked about God handing over the Romans to their sins. And when that happens, it's game over. Today, we are still in the bad news. Today, we're going to look at the person who says they are, aren't that bad when compared to the Romans list in chapter 1. They may say, well, compared to Hitler, Stalin, etc., I'm a pretty good person. Well, spoiler alert, they aren't. Not from my point of view, but from God's point of view. Today's text is Romans chapter 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for, for in that which you judge one another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of, of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to you leads, leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation at the righteousness or judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress. For every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So like the last few times, we have a lot to digest. If you want to name this one, I will call it the moralist condemned. What is a moralist? A moralist, as mentioned above, is someone who has a decent, good, or even great morals. Outside, they are clean, perfect life, has everything. But as we know from our study in Romans, that's not true. You see, Jesus dealt with moralists in his days, the Pharisees. They seemed perfect, but Jesus saw their hearts, which only God can do that. 1 Samuel 16, 7, Romans 8, 27, Psalm 51, 10, and Psalm 139, 23. He calls them out on it by calling them hypocrites, child of hell, blind guides, blind fools, Blind men, full of greed and self-indignance, whitewashed tombs, serpents, and brutal vipers. Matthew 23, 13-36. Spurgeon said it best, Morals will keep you out of prison, but Jesus will keep you out of hell. So with that, let's begin, shall we? I'm going to break it down into two sections, verses 1-5, through then 6-11. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you passes judgment, for in that which you judge another and condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice these such things and do the same yourself, that you escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, that you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation and righteousness of righteous judgment of God. 
Whew. So we see it therefore to start this passage. And the rule is when you see it therefore, you have to go figure out what it's there for. Therefore acts as a bridge from the previous section to the next. The previous section was Paul's vice grip of a list, listing all the different signs the Romans were practicing, forgetting God, hating God. Little thing about that. Kent Hughes in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, notes that when we give him temptation, the adversary, the devil, doesn't make us hate God, he makes us forget God. I love that. We naturally hate God because we are sinners, and that's why we sin, paraphrasing the late R.C. Sproul. The moral person says that, Morrison says that, I don't hate God. I may not believe in him, but I don't hate him. I'm also going to include the spiritual person in this because they kind of fall into the same category. And then do this category. Again, I may lose some followers over this, but oh well. Paul, from the looks and sounds of it, is echoing Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 1-5. Judge not that you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce that you will be judged, and, and with the measure you will use it, it be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your, in, in your brother's eyes, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how do you, or how can you say to your brother, let me take a speck out of your out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? But you, hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Of course, this is one of the most famous passages that unbelievers and sadly many Christians use when confronting sins. A lot of times it's just verse one. But Jesus didn't stop after that first sentence. He kept going. Tell us that we Tell us, tell us that we can't judge, but we should judge. As long as we're not hypocrites. For example, if I was to confront a brother or sister who was addicted to gambling, but I myself gamble, that's where I would be wrong. This verse isn't condemning believers to judge, but I believe the access to judge. Oftentimes we don't, because we don't want to offend or hurt. Todd Friel says that believers are downright allergic to judging. It's funny, I hear people all the time tell me only God can judge me, and I'm like, that doesn't terrify you? If you are a believer of God, a true, repentant, obedient believer, then you will not be judged. Not for your sins, at least, but more than that in the following verses. But notice at the end of verse 1. Practice the very same things. Paul tells the moral, spiritual person, when they do pra practice these things, that they do practice these things. Because God has a very high standard, has very high standards. We can never meet them alone. It's only through... Christ, we can attain the standard. And remember, righteousness definition, the righteousness definition means conforming to a standard. The moralist spiritual person doesn't think they need this because they think they are right with God. But no one is right with God. Uh, and, and, uh, no one is right with God until they accept Christ as Lord and His righteousness is put, and put onto us. But according to this verse, they practice the same things. They may not admit it, but they do in their hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 21-48, says, if, think, if you even think about it, you commit a sin. That's how high the standard is. God does not mess around with sin. Verses 2-3, to three, again, talks about the judgment of God. The moral, spiritual person can't, can't escape them. The judgment of God is just. It follows who deserves it. There is never an instance of injustice with God throughout the Bible and throughout human history. God never destroyed a place by giving them a chance to repent. That happened in the Bible, it's happening now, and it will continue to happen. But take heed one day, a chance to repent will be done. I think of the story of Nineveh. 
The prophet Jonah prophesied that God would bring judgment upon them a hundred years-ish years before. But what changed from Jonah to Nahum is that in Jonah they repented or turned away from their sin. Well, in Nahum, they returned to their sins. God, still remembering to bring judgment, brings judgment. God will never bring judgment without a chance to repent. In Nahum 1-3, the prophet writes, The Lord is slow to anger. He is... That's one of his characteristics, but he's also a God of vengeance. Deuteronomy 32-35, cross-reference Romans 12-19. But back to the passage. Paul talks about judgment on those who deserve it. It rarely falls on all of us. But Christ took it upon himself. In fact, one of my, one of my favorite hymns says that on, the, on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Yes, God desires none to perish. But for all to come to repentance, Second Peter three nine. So does this verse contradict the whole Bible? No, it affirms it. Yes, God doesn't want any person to perish, but He knows they won't. So He has to punish. They won't. They won't repent. So He has to punish them, or He wouldn't be God. To paraphrase R.C. Sproul again, the person, this person judges people and practices the same sin. He condemns, which makes him a hypocrite. The basic definition of a hypocrite is one who puts on a mask. He tries to hide what he really is. A wrongdoer, an evildoer, a faker, a false Christian. While yes, he can fool men, he will not fool, fool God. Turn me to Luke 12, 1-3. <clears throat> Under these circumstances... After so many thousand people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. He began to say to the disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered up for what will be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. You see, God knows who the hypocrites are and exposes them. Even worse, God sends them to hell. You can't hide anything from God, for God knows our thoughts and secrets and who we are behind closed doors when there's no one around. God knows that the real God knows that real person. Romans two sixteen, which we'll get to next time, but to give you a taste of it says on that day when according to my gospel God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. These are the people who have all had the head knowledge in the world. They go to church, church camps, Moana, youth, maybe in Bible college and seminary. Maybe they are the pastors of a church. You will not escape the judgment or wrath of God, no matter who you are. Whether you are a false covert, a pastor, a CEO, a military vet, a homeless person, or whoever you are. As Arnold Schwarzenegger said in Terminator 3, Judgment Day is inevitable. Thus four takes an interesting turn. Continuing the thought of judgment, but now it turns on the goodness of God to repent. Paul says it mockingly, I believe. Listen to what he says in that verse 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience and not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Paul is trying to get this person to understand it's not him when he gets saved, but it is God who wills it. John 6, 44. Yes, there is a part on us after salvation, Philippians 2, 2, called sanctification. But salvation is 100% God, Philippians 2, 13. Paul is talking about God's divine attributes and characteristics, which we will see throughout Scripture. That God is good, pure, holy, just, patient, kind, all-knowing, everywhere, almighty. So many and so many more. Why not repent 
Why not re repent because of what and who he is? There are two types of grace. Common grace, which allows us to live every day, and saving grace, which is the gospel. What is grace? Is unreserved acceptance and love from one another. It is something that we get without earning it. Namely here, it is all salvation. Yes, grace does exist for everyone who, as we distinguish between, between, between above. Sorry, lost, lost track. We oftentimes take for granted God's goodness and his nature. I mean, he sent his son to die for us. How many parents would send their son or daughter to the enemy to die for them? No one would, except God alone. As I said a couple of podcasts ago, talking about general revelation versus special revelation, we can know about God through general revelation, but can only know God through special revelation. In other words, read your Bibles. We have them for a reason to know God and His will. As the Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. God wants you to read your Bibles. But the modern evangelical movement, known as the NAR, New Apostolic Reformation, I call it the narcissistic movement, says the Bible is out is outdated. We need new revelation from God. God has given all of his revelation in the Bible and through his son. Hence why the term sola scriptura was named, meaning scripture alone. Yes, the reformers ca called it because the Catholic Church was using other methods, but still applies. As mentioned above, God knows our deepest secrets, the death of our heart, and yes, he will judge. Yes, he will judge. Judge that, but at the same time, he loves you. He loves a person more than he hates a person. Yes, God does hate people. Sinners. Don't believe me? Let's read Psalm 5, 4-6. For you are not a God who, who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do inequity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and decent. Sorry, I just got tired of the whole God loves you evangelical message saying God loves sinners. Or in other words, love the sinner but hate the sin. God isn't going to send just the sin to hell, but the sinner as well. Unless that sinner realizes he's a sinner and needs saving. Only one person can save, save them Jesus Christ, as Peter says in Acts 4, 10-12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, by the time of Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders by which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, but there is and for there is no other name in heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Sola Christus. Which I encourage you to listen to the song In Christ Alone. It's a beautiful song. Think of it as, as worship after you're done. Verse 5 starts with a conjunction. The word but. This is a dramatic shift from what Paul is talking about. He goes from the goodness of God back to the wrath of God. What's the deal for the wrath of God? Well, Paul tells us, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, this is what Paul has been saying since verse 18. Why I bring it up? Because Paul really wants to make sure everyone is included, included the moralist or spiritual person. They claim outside they are perfect. But Paul just checkmated them by going back after their heart, which is unclean, vile, sick, evil, God-hating, and so much more. 
I think of a certain person, I think of a bull or a cow. They are just straightforward, and you have to tell them, use your strength to get them where you want to go. That's the same that's the same with stubborn person where they go, they want to go or they're without your permission. They are headstrong and some arrogant and full of confidence. They are right and you're wrong. But notice the phrase, you are storing up wrath for yourself. It reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 2.16. Hindering us from the speaking of the Gentiles so they may be saved with the result they may always feel the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. This isn't like karma where you have good or bad, uh, have a good or bad bar to fill, and then you first take it from there. This is the cosmic creator God you are offending and need to be reconciled with him through Jesus Christ. Every sin you make is offense God puts down, and one day he's going to collect his tab. Hence why Paul writes in the day of the wrath and revelation the righteous judgment of God. MacArthur notes, doubtless refers to the great white throne judgment at which the wicked of all times from all places will be cast in the lake of fire, where they will join Satan and all his evil followers. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul mentions the judgment seat of Christ. This is where everyone will be judged. Believers will not be judged for their sins, but for the ministry, time, and money, what they preach, and so on. Non-believers, however, will be judged for their sins. The great day is coming, my friends. Is your name the book of life? If it is, rejoice. If it's not, then tremble. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. But how do you know your life is in or not? If you accepted Christ as Lord, as Savior at any point in your life, there are not any erasers in heaven. God used a beautiful fountain pen to write these names. He knows who where they are, where they will be when, when they hear the calling, what they are doing, and when they will be. Sola de Gloria. The next set of verses are talking about what they receive according to verses 6 through 11. Who will render to each person accordingly to his deeds, to those who will, by perseverance and do good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life? But those who are selfish, ambitious, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. Glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. If you look at that passage at first glance, you might say, why does Paul break it down like that? After some commentary reading and hermeneutics, we can see Paul's idea flow through easily. Doug's move break it down like this. A. God will judge everyone equality. B. Those who do good will attain eternal life. C. Those who do evil suffer wrath. And then C. B. A. Is wrath for those who do evil. B. Glory for those who do good. And A. Judges, God judges impartially. So judge, judgment is on the outside. Those who do evil get the glory. And those who do evil will suffer wrath. Also, this is an achievement. I finally turned my page in my Bible. Hallelujah. So first, God will render to each person to his deeds. This is a quotation of Psalm 62 and Proverbs 24, 12. Jesus also says the same thing in Matthew 16, 27, when talking about his return and cause of following him. In other words, you reap what you sow. For example, if you are standing for a test day and night, and for long hours, you will reap a good grade. However, if you just study the night before and stand up all night, you will reap an okay to a bad grade. My theology professor, Mr. Glock, who always says, always pray, Lord, help them remember what they studied. Pretty much calling out those who waited on the night before or didn't study. <laughs> but here, if you sow evil, you'll reap judgment. If you sow good, you'll reap eternal life. That is what the patch is saying. You, the patch is saying. For some reason, I think of Colossians 3, 2. 
Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. In other words, if you think worldly, you'll act worldly. If you think like Christ, you will act like Christ. He starts with judgment and ends with judgment on a fine course in Bible arcing. God shows no favor in judging. He won't grave on a curve. He won't say, well, because you're not as bad as this guy, you get in. He won't say, because you're not as good as this, this guy, you won't get in. When we stand before him, it'll be one-on-one. You will be here. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What apart from me, I never knew you. God doesn't play favorites with anyone. He judges according to what we did on earth. If we truly accepted Christ as Lord, then we will reap perseverance, glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. Those are amazing gifts, far better than any earthly gift we could receive. Perseverance refers to keeping, safeguarding, holding on to. This is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints that I talked about about a couple sessions ago. Glory. I believe Paul is talking not our glory, but his glory. Also, the glorification of the saints, which is the final step of our life. When we hear, well done, good, well done, good and faithful servant. When we hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Honor. The same thing, I believe. Not honoring ourselves, but we will receive honor from God. In turn, give him right back, because that's who rightly deserves it. Immortality is a quality or state of being exempt from death. Humans may consider immortal only as us for immortality as the gift from God. Finally, eternal life. Same line as immortality, but here I believe is referring to as a personal state of being with God forever. The ultimate gift, Romans 6.23b. Then the counterpart is in verse 10. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Where he covered glory and honor, now Paul includes a new gift, peace. What is peace? It's a condition or sense of harmony, well-being, and prosperity. Now, it's much more than just having the right mind or attitude. It's a state of being right with God and knowing that I believe. Being secure by God. Next, Paul is in a new phrase, to everyone who does good. Now, this is a funny phrase because literally in the, in the, chapter, the next chapter, Paul says, no one is good. But right here, here, he says what he just, he, he, here, he says what is just. He's just. A contradiction? Nope. Let me explain. In Matthew 19, 16-17, Jesus deals with the same t- question, but in a different form. Let's read it. And someone came to him, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to attain her eternal life? He said, Then why are you asking me what is good? There is only one who, do, who is good. And if you ask, if you wish to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Now, that's the first thing this person asks, What must I do? Interesting, he doesn't say it's a, a monergistic meaning God alone saves. Sally, this is many people today. What must I do? Well, the only thing you do is repent of your sins, but back to the subject of the text. That they won't cause, they won't, because they don't see themselves as vile sinners. But notice what else he says. What good thing should I do to attain her life? It's not like he relied on, on his works to get to heaven. And sadly, a lot of people are still banking on what on that. But works do not say they will be judged. But it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If anyone appreciates something different from that, then run. Notice what Jesus says. Why are you asking me what is good? There's only one who is good. Jesus isn't denying his identity, but actually affirming it. God is the only one who does who is good internally and externally. Because of Adam's sin is inherited by us, we can't be good. Even when we are saved, because we are by nature sinners. It won't be until we get to eternally heaven that we will finally be good. It's funny. When I hear Christians say, you're a good person, he or she was a good person, 
Well, according to the scripture, we're not. I'm not a good person. I may put on a friendly smile and do good things, but hence I'm a vile, corporal sinner who is just saved by sola gratia, by grace alone. Ephesians 2.8 You are the same, whether you are saved or not, my dear brother or my dear sister. Notice what Jesus says next. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments, I believe. I believe Jesus says this rhetorically, knowing that it's impossible to keep the commandments, which he himself referring to the Ten Commandments. The law was shown was to show that man is incapable of saving himself, hence why we need grace. John comments on that in John 1.17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. The law was grace in itself, that God didn't have to give us anything. Just leave it to our own consequences. Conscience and consequences. But, like a good father, gave us rules to abide by. His son does the same in John 15 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I just love you. Matthew 27 39. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are not good. Now we may do good deeds, but our hearts and motives won't be the right reason, nor will they get us into heaven. Now back to Romans 2, focusing on verses 8 to 9, and back to the wrath of God. Listen to what the apostle says of it, and those who deserve it, and earn it. But those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul who man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. We saw the good news, but here again is the bad news. The bad news is if you are selfish, unlawful, unrighteous, you will reap tribulation and distress. It's simple as that. Either you face this or you have someone else face this. Someone who can handle this. Someone who is worthy to take this. His name is Jesus Christ. But notice what he says at the end of verse 9. To the Jew first and also the Greek. He repeats himself in verse 10. So why does Paul include this? Well, to remind you who he's writing to. Who is he under obligation to? 114. But here he includes the Jews. Why them? Aren't they saved? Aren't they, go? Aren't they good to go? Well, the nation of Israel is good. But people are not. Most of them don't believe in the Messiah Christ. They just rely on the Old Testament. They rely on their heritage. Their names. They believe that they believe that only they will enter heaven. Wrong. Only those who put their trust, their hope, and their faith in Christ alone. Solo Christus. The reason he he name drops the Jews and the Greeks is because it was the Jews who received special revelation from first special revelation first from God, starting with their father Abraham father Abraham back in Genesis twelve with a promise. In Genesis twelve, one to three, that the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will, be a bless, I will bless those who bless you and curse you who I will curse. And curse and when one who curses you, I will curse you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed. So not only will they see rewards first, they also see your punishments first. Paul will specifically talk to them in chapters 9 to 11. And with that in a few years, maybe. <laughs> but Jesus talked about this in John 5, 20-29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds unto the resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds of the resurrection of judgment. 
Again, works do not save, but they will be judged and be judged by God's. Saints will never be judged for our sins. Only unbelievers will. But it doesn't mean we're off the hook. As we as believers, we simply work out our salvation. Philippians 2.12 And spread the gospel to all people groups. Matthew 28.19-20 Romans 6 deal with saying that Jesus is Lord. Romans 6 deals with saying Jesus is Lord but living like the world. In fact, a book I quoted in a podcast I highly recommend is A Shame of the Gospel. When the church becomes like the world by my when the church becomes like the world by my favorite pastor, teacher, author, John MacArthur. So my encouragement is keep doing God's good for God's sake, for his glory. Don't quit. Stay strong, believer. Keep working. Unbeliever, hear the com- hear the command of the gospel and repent and believe in it. This is your way to heaven. More importantly, your way to God. On by Luke fifteen, one through ten. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this, this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in an open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he finds it, he lays on it his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which I lost. I tell you the same way, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who do need no repentance. Or a woman, if she has ten silver coins, loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thank you. Have a great night. God bless.